The scripture for today's sermon comes from Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 25. The word of God speaks to us. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is God's word to us. Thanks, Micah. You can grab a seat. If you've got a copy of the scriptures, go ahead and open them up to Hebrews chapter 10. Um, and while you're turning there, if you're new or visiting with us, my name is Bryce Johnson. I am uh, one of the leaders here at Frontline. I am a pastoral resident, and as always, it is joy and honor to stand uh, before you guys and open God's word. We've been walking through a series that uh, we've called Rhythms of Grace, and we've been looking at these rhythms or these practices that God has given us for our good, to help us grow in maturity and faith, and they're for our good and flourishing. And so we've talked about things like church membership and um, scripture reading and prayer and rest and work, and, and I think we can hear sermons like this and hear sermons on what are broadly called spiritual disciplines, and I think we can think that, man, these are nice-to-haves, Right? These are good things that you can sprinkle in when you've got time or uh, the bandwidth um, or you feel guilted into. Uh, right? We just sprinkle in when, uh, whenever we think about it. One of the earliest disciplines that my parents instilled in me, as I'm sure for many of you, was brushing my teeth in the morning. Right? So as soon as you get up in, in the morning, uh, you go to the bathroom and brush your teeth. And for as long as I can remember, I've, I've, always, I've always done that. Um, and the, the thing is, with my parents, it's just, I don't know if they just didn't know or it just wasn't a thought. We just didn't go to the dentist that often. I generally have uh, straight teeth. I didn't have very many cavities or at least didn't know about them. Uh, and so we just didn't go to the dentist much. And um, I remember once uh, visiting the dentist in high school. And the dentist looked at me and he said, so, so how often do you floss? And I think he asked me that question because he knew the answer. I had never flossed a day in my life. Uh, and, and I was like, ah, oh, you know, every now and then, I don't know. Um, and, uh, and he was like, all right, and what about brushing? I was like, oh, I, I brush my teeth every morning. Uh, and so he recommended, he was like, hey, you should probably floss daily, and you probably want to start brushing your teeth at night as well. I said, great. Went home and didn't do it. Uh, my parents were like, you're brushing your teeth, you're fine, right? Did it go to the dentist again for a few years, and then in college, same thing, right? I saw a dentist, he was like, hey, what, tell me your flossing rhythms. And I was like, they don't exist. Uh, and, and so then I went home, bought some floss, didn't, didn't, you know, didn't know how to use it, uh, and so looked up some videos and did it. It was kind of like, uh, you know, if you've ever watched The Office, Michael Scott, after he flosses, it felt like someone had been murdered in my sink. There was just blood <laughs> everywhere. It was bad. Um, did it a couple times, and I was like, I don't need to do this. It's rhythm, rhythm just, just kept happening uh, over and over again. And it happened because I thought flossing and brushing my teeth at night were just nice-to-haves. 
There were just extra things that I could throw in because I was doing the most important thing. I was brushing my teeth in the morning. And I think that's how we tend to view these rhythms of grace, as just things we can sprinkle in when we remember or when we feel guilted into. That's because we don't see these things as actually things that are actually for our good and for our benefit, for our health and flourishing. As long as we see them as just extra, we're never going to experience the freedom that they offer, the beauty of it. We'll never take it seriously. I know some of you are disgusted right now and trying to analyze my teeth to see if I still have all of them. I do. Um, a few years ago, uh, several years ago, I had a dentist lovingly you know, just let me know, hey, if you still want to be eating solid food in your 50s, you need to start flossing. <laughs> you, need to start, uh, you need to start seeing the dentist regularly. And so I did. But the thing was, I had to radically shift how I viewed everything. Right? I, I, had to, I, I had to start introducing this thing called a nighttime routine. I didn't even know what that was. I just went to bed. But I was like, all right, now I've got I've to wind down. I've got to brush my teeth and floss and take my contact. You know, I, I, I had to develop. I had to build this system into my day. Right? I had to radically shift everything I knew about it because I actually believed that if I didn't implement these things, I would reduce the number of years that I had good teeth or decent teeth. And so that's what I want to offer this morning, that rhythms of grace are not just fluff, but things that are invitations from the Lord to greater joy and greater health and greater flourishing. And this morning, we're going to be talking about the Lord's Day. The Lord's Day, which is, feels like a fancy way of saying the Sunday morning gathering. Jesus was resurrected on Easter Sunday, and so since the earliest days of the church, believers have gathered together to commemorate his resurrection and what he has done. And they've gathered for worship and fellowship and honored, as it, honored it as a day to devote solely to the Lord. And, and so maybe you grew up in a household where you just went to church every uh, Sunday, or you, or you knew someone who did, right? And maybe you're here this morning because that's just what you do on Sunday mornings. Christians get up and you get up and you go to church on Sundays. But as you may have heard in recent decades that the number of people who would say that they go to church every week um, or even three two or three times a month, has drastically decreased. Some have walked away from the faith altogether, but, but some have just chosen other options for Sunday mornings, right? Whether it's, whether it's the pain of trying to corral a family or Sunday brunch or vacations, um, especially during the pandemic, uh, as we introduce virtual worship services, some of us have just realized, man, that's actually a lot easier. And you may be in here, and maybe this is your first time in this service, or maybe it's the first time in a while, and I am so honored and thankful that you would join us this Sunday morning. And if you're here and you're a Christian and your Sunday attendance is spotty at best, listen, I, my hope is that I would not heap shame or, or condemnation on you. My hope is that you would see the beauty of Sunday morning, of the Sunday gathering, and the picture that God has to offer for us. So we're in Hebrews chapter 10, uh, we're going to be starting in verse 23, but, but, but our passage this morning is part of a larger discourse, a larger discussion about what Jesus has actually accomplished in his death and resurrection. The author of Hebrews has spent almost four chapters talking through the sacrifices and how Jesus is a greater high priest and, and why the death on the cross was necessary to save us and says, because of what Jesus has done, we can have confidence to actually approach God. And then we get to the text this morning, and the point of the passage is that because of what Jesus did on the cross, 
we can trust God's faithfulness and we can encourage one another in love. And so as we think about the significance of the Lord's Day, we're going to use this passage to see this. We're going to see, use this passage to see that the Lord's Day is when the church gathers to remind herself of who she is. Right? The gathering of the church on a Sunday morning is a grace from God. It's for our good because it reminds us of who we are and it keeps us grounded in Jesus. It's a, it's a grace, it's a rhythm of grace to keep us in the Lord. And so we're going to see that we're a people who are formed by the gospel. We're a people who are called to each other and we are people who are a foretaste of the coming kingdom. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And so the author of Hebrews tells us, hey, hold on to this confession of hope. And so the first question ought to be, well, what is this confession of hope? Well, the confession of hope is that Jesus is Lord and Jesus saves. Jesus is the only one who saves. And that's what's key about Christianity. Jesus has actually done everything for us to rescue us. We are a people who are formed by this good news, this declaration. When there was no other way, when we couldn't get our act together, Jesus did the work. It's the gospel of Jesus that he saves us not because we're impressive, certainly not because we're great at obedience, but because of who he is. And so if you're in here and you're a Christian, it's because Jesus saved you. And he saves us to a radically different life. It's a life that, that often looks backward to those who are not followers of Jesus. Because Jesus calls us to the good life, which is a vision um, that bucks against every social and political and sexual and economic vision that the world would have for us. And if you're in here and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, well, the good news of the gospel today is that you can find hope in Jesus. Wherever you're trying to find hope, wherever you're trying to find meaning, wherever you're try trying to find goodness, whether it's in people or yourself or things, Jesus offers you hope if you would turn to him. Now, there are other gospels or other messages of good news out there, and there are two primary ones in which we can fall into. One is what the world tells us, right? The world um, is, is the spirit of our age, the spirit that is not of Jesus, in fact, is actively opposed to him. And one of the primary messages of today is one of empowerment, right? So you can overcome your faults. You're not that bad. You are the most important person. You've got incredible power within you, and, and don't you dare let anyone talk down to you. And now here's the thing. Some of that is actually right and good and true because we've had far too many people or groups of people who have been marginalized or, or have lived in shame and, and ought to be lifted in empowerment because we have inherent dignity and worth as people made in the image of God. And yet what the world would want us to do is take that to an extreme that leads us to rampant individualism and that calls us all gods and goddesses who can do no wrong or certainly can't uh, be told anything that upsets us. If you try hard enough, you can save yourself, and here's the thing, you might not even need saving. So, so that's the message of the world, but, but the other ditch we can fall into is one of religion, and it sells us the message of being confident in your own behavior. Right? So you can approach God because you've been sexually faithful or because of the ways you've served other people or because of you've read your Bible and prayed every day this week. And so now you can have confidence to approach God. And here's the thing. Both messages are actually the same message. Both messages actually say that you're loved and you're accepted and you're received because of what you've done or because of what you bring to the table. 
because of something inherent to yourself. And they're both false gospels because they put your confidence in yourself. So throughout the week, we're, we're, we're constantly being shaped and formed by the lies of the world and even of the lies of religion and morality. So politicians and social media posts and podcasts and even friends and family and the media all speak things that deform us and promise us hope and salvation in something other than Jesus. Even the things that we consume with our eyes and ears give us a picture of the good life and we're so prone to drift towards it. And they're often at odds with the vision that Jesus has for us. I remember um, a season of my life, my mid-20s, I was actively involved in the church and I was serving in so many different ways. And one day I had this realization that my heart was believing something that I knew in my mind wasn't true, right? Because I was letting the TV shows that I watched, the sitcoms that I watched, and even the music that I was listening to slowly shape my view of relationships and even of women. Now, now I wasn't watching Game of Thrones or anything R-rated. I, I wasn't listening to crazy music. I was, I was watching Friends and listening to John Mayer. And yet what was normalized in these shows and, and in these songs was slowly just seeping its way into my heart, trying to reshape my mind and my heart to say, hey, it's actually not that big of a deal. Hey, this is actually a not just a normal thing, this is a good thing. See, we're constantly under the influence of forces that want to offer us something besides the confession of hope that's in Jesus. And that's why the Sunday morning is such a grace from the Lord. Because it's a space in our week to reorient our hearts and reorient our lives and reorient our minds around the gospel of Jesus so that we might be able to hold on to our confession. See, our, our Sunday liturgy, which is a fancy word of our order of worship, is set to remind us of the gospel. And so every week we, we speak forth, uh, we confess our sins out loud because we are sinful people who are broken and have sins to confess. And we confess them corporately. And then we hear the assurance of the gospel that we're loved and accepted because of Jesus. Every week we sing songs that point us ultimately to the person and work of Jesus. Even this morning we sang it. We sang, I searched the world, but it couldn't fill me. Man's empty praise Pleasures that fade, they're never enough. There's nothing better than you. You turn graves into gardens. You're the only one who can. You turn shame into glory. And every week we hear sermons that point us back to our ultimate authority, which is the word of God, that point us back to Jesus. And the Sunday gatherings help us hold on by helping us combat the ways we're subtly being told lies from the world and subtly being reshaped. It's subtle. It's, it's, they're, they're, they're gentle j drifts. If you've ever been canoeing or kayaking, you know that if you don't do anything, then it's just a matter of time before the currents just lead you where they will, right? They'll, they'll lead you to danger or they'll lead you to, to being stuck uh, on the shore or they'll just lead you off course. And so every now and then, you have to push your paddle into the water to reorient yourself, to get yourself back on track. And that's what the Sunday gathering is. That's a picture of what it is. To remind us of where we're headed, to remind us of who we are. The Sunday gathering is a paddle in the river of life to keep, help us keep on course, to help us hold on to the confession. Now, if you're following this, then it should lead you to the question, well, if all we need are regular reminders of who we are 
Can't we just do that online? Can't we just create great worship playlists and listen to our favorite preachers? Well, let's keep reading. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Let's start in verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promises is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. In other words, what the author of Hebrews just said is we're called to minister to one another. So we're people who are called to each other. This whole passage is full of phrases like one another and let us and we and has all these communal phrases because Jesus doesn't just save individuals. He saves a people for himself. And here's the crazy thing. He actually wants his people to interact with one another. And it's a crazy idea, but one of the purposes of our Sunday gathering is that you and I would actually minister to one another, that we'd encourage one another, that we would move towards one another in love. And it might seem jarring, but it might be because we have a warped view of Christianity. If you grew up uh, in the church in the last few decades, you probably... uh, Chances are you heard an invitation to accept Jesus as your personal Savior. Maybe you walk down an aisle and you accept Jesus as your personal Savior. And and the idea of Jesus as your personal Savior, it it arose in the 19th century with revivals and is really popularized by Billy Graham. And, and, And the idea was that Jesus lives in your heart and you have a personal connection with him. And it was a right attempt to get people to own their faith, that, hey, this is this is yours. But in an attempt to get us to own our faith, became a way to actually privatize our faith, right? And, and privatize it and feed it into individualism. And so now following Jesus is just about you and Jesus and your relationship with Jesus. And this is joined forces with consumerism. And so now everything's about you and your personal relationship with Jesus. And so we pick churches based off of their worship music or the style of preaching or their kids' ministry or how long services. Church becomes all about what's in it for me. How am I fed? How are my needs met? And when you play this logic out, well, then the parts of the church that really matter are how you feel during worship or how you're fed by the sermon. And that's, that, that's arisen in popularity, especially in, in our age of virtual church or no church as we create Spotify playlists of insert worship band or your favorite preacher. And all of a sudden, Sunday brunch sounds a lot better than Sunday service because a stack of French toast meets my needs way better than a mediocre preacher. Or staying home on a Sunday or going on a vacation that doesn't involve Sunday service sounds great because you can just catch the service online or you can just go next week. And in case you missed verse 25, the author of Hebrews tells us not to neglect meeting together, not just so that you don't miss a great sermon, or don't miss a great worship service, or, 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 or feel a way that makes you think. He says, don't neglect meeting together, because otherwise we won't be able to stir up one another in love. We won't be able to encourage one another. Frontline Church, have you ever thought about it that way? Have you ever thought that one of the main things we're called to on our Sunday gatherings is to actually minister to one another in love? That our church service isn't just to know more intellectually or experience more, but it's actually to love one another more. This is one of the, the ways we've built 
our church services. We, we, we have moments in our liturgy uh, to, to welcome one another. And I know it's painfully awkward for some of you just, just to greet someone you don't really know or to, to stand around. But, but we do it because the Bible calls us to greet one another in a way that resembles sibling relationships, to greet one another with brotherly love. It's why we have ministry time after service so that we can talk to one another and move towards one another, pray for one another in our weakness. This is why we call you to serve. When you serve in the elementary kids' classrooms, you're stirring them up to good works and to love. When you hold a door open and greet people, you're actually encouraging them with your presence and smile. This is why we have intercession time so that we might together as a community pray for the world. Friends, meeting on Sunday is one of the ways we live in light of the gospel. And what this means is, hear me, when we neglect to meet, we're actually doing a disservice not only to our own spiritual health, but to others. When we neglect to meet, we're actually doing a disservice not only to ourselves, but to others, because you rob someone of an opportunity to be encouraged by you. We withhold tangible love from our brothers and sisters in Christ when we forsake the gathering of God's people. This is one of the reasons why the pandemic was so difficult. As, as we sought to love one another um, by staying home and socially distancing, we were actually depriving each other of real ministry to one another. And at the same time, when, we, when you come to a Sunday and, and service and stay aloof or keep everyone at arm's distance or just respond with, like, man, I'm fine, and move on, when you're emotionally absent, you're, you deprive people of getting the ability to practice the one another's that Scripture calls us to, of, of exercising the spiritual gifts with one another. Friends, we need one another. Isn't it amazing? God knew that we couldn't do it on our own. He knew that we would need to be encouraged, that, that there would be moments where we didn't want to obey or we didn't want to do what's good. And so God made it so that we would meet those needs in one another, not just in a sermon, not just in a song, but by actual people. Technology is amazing, and I love the ability to text or even FaceTime, but that does not beat having a friend come around me and put his arm around me to encourage me or to exhort me to keep walking in faith. And so what, is this, what does this passage call us to today? There are three things that we see. First is to consider. The author of Hebrews says, hey, consider one another. It requires intentionality. It requires slowing down and stopping to think and reflect on how we can help each other grow in love. One commentator says, hey, another way you can describe it is pay attention to one another. Friends, in the, in the busyness of Sunday mornings as you're trying to corral kids and trying to make it to your Sunday lunch reservation, do you stop to consider what your brother or sister in Christ actually needs? When you're talking to one another, are, are, you, are you actually listening or just, just reacting or just responding? Let's be a people who actually thoughtfully think of each other and think of what we need. So first, we consider. Second, the author tells us to stir one another in love and good deeds. Stir one another. Other translations say provoke love in one another or motivate one another to acts of love and good works. So this isn't just empathizing with someone or you're just shooting it straight. This is, this is speaking truth in such a way that we're encouraging them to walk in obedience and to look beyond themselves. It's a command that calls us to care for people and what they do. And so we're, we're, we're not aloof to one another's needs. 
you care about my needs and I care about your needs and I won't let you pass by in anonymity or in indifference. So we're called to consider one another, to stir up one another to love and good deeds. And third, to encourage one another, to encourage one another, to come alongside each other in such a way that they know that you're there. And so what this means is that if you're in here and you're hurting or, or you're weak or you need some encouragement, friends, would you let someone in? Would you let someone know? Would you let them in? Ask for it. Let the church come around you in love. And so, so here's a gentle ask. Before you leave this morning, would you consider someone around you? Would you stir them up to love and good deeds? Would you encourage someone? Can you imagine what this space would look like on a Sunday morning if that's what we were doing? If we, as we're hearing the gospel and singing the gospel, we we're speaking the gospel to one another and meeting each other's needs and moving towards one another. How would that change how we view Sundays? See, as we do this, we get a taste of the kingdom that Jesus is bringing, which leads me to my last point. This passage reminds us to keep encouraging one another as we see the day drawing near. See, we're people who look forward to a coming day. There's a day that's coming. The coming day is when Jesus returns. Because our Christian hope is not just that we die and go to heaven and play harps when we die. Our Christian hope is that Jesus is actually coming to us, bringing heaven to earth. And he's going to come back and restore and put back everything that was broken and make everything new. Everything that has been ruined by sin, Jesus will fix. Everything that's been ruined by broken bodies and broken relationships, broken systems. Can you imagine in, when Jesus comes back and makes all things new? There won't be poverty. Because Jesus will fix and heal broken economic systems. Wars and mass shootings and rape will be no more because the Prince of Peace will literally be in our midst. There will be no need for weapons as swords are beaten into plows and, and rifles are turned into garden shovels because there's no need to protect yourself or to hunt something. And racism and misogyny and abortion will be a thing of the past as all lives live in the full dignity of being made in the image of God. Friends, think about this. We'll never have to listen to Nickelback or Pitbull again because a new creation will be full of music that's actually good. See, Jesus is coming back and will set all things right, including terrible music. And he's already started it with us. See, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been given new life and a new heart by Jesus. And this church, this gathering is a picture of that ultimate reality. Older generations called it, called it a foretaste, a foretaste, a preview of what was to come. We're a preview of the new life that Jesus is bringing. And we're not a perfect picture of this. Hopefully you know this. You've probably experienced this. We are not a perfect picture of this coming day. We're broken people who don't have life figured out, who still struggle with sin and brokenness and shame. But, but we're saved by a Savior and we're filled by the Holy Spirit of God who's conforming us more and more to the image of Jesus. And we're reminding ourselves of this hope that we've been called to. And we live out this picture to the best of our ability. And so every time we meet and worship and sing songs and encourage one another, we're rehearsing our future hope. We're rehearsing the day that's to come. We're rehearsing what one day will be true of all of us. And, and we're giving a glimpse to the world of what heaven is like. 
This is why we encourage one another. This is why we motivate one another, why we're spurring one another to live out what Jesus has already achieved for us and what will always be true of us. I, I know you probably can't tell by looking at me, but I played basketball in high school. I'm going to try not to take those laughs uh, personally. <laughs> Listen, we were really struggling for players, okay? <laughs> but during the off-season, one of the things that we would do is we would have these conditioning drills, right? So we'd run laps or we'd run sprints. And growing up in Texas in that brutal heat, you can imagine how fun that was. And I remember uh, during one practice, it was probably 109, 110 degrees outside, and we're running outside, and at some point... I tripped, right, and just stumbled, and I just stayed there. I was like, this is not worth it. This, <laughs> this is terrible, right? There's, like, salt stinging my eyes. I'm, I'm, I've just got the shame that, of, of just falling down. Um, and what I remember were my teammates coming by me and saying, get up, man. Hey, get up. We've just got one more lap to go. Come on, Bryce, you got this, you got this. Practice is almost over. And it wasn't fun, but, but I was able to get up and finish and keep going because I knew I wasn't doing it alone. I knew that I had teammates around me, encouraging me, reminding me I wasn't done yet, reminding me that the finish line was approaching. See, that's, that's a bit of what we do on Sunday mornings. Not that, not that we stir ourselves up and, and into a frenzy and finish, but but as we speak truth to one another, filled by the Holy Spirit, and speak grace, truth to one another, we're reminding ourselves that Jesus is coming back, and we can encourage one another as we point to his return. See, you can encourage your friend to keep loving her husband because, because Jesus is coming back, and he's going to put all things together, even broken relationships. You can keep participating in that community group or serving in that kid's classroom because the work that you're doing is actually contributing to the work that Jesus will ultimately finish accomplishing in renewing, renewing all things. Maybe you've come here this morning just stumbling or with heaviness. Maybe you're wrestling with what you believe or, or even if you do believe. Can I offer that you're here this morning because the sovereign God of the universe has brought you to this place on the Lord's day to meet you. To meet you himself and to meet you through his people. There's a reason why the church is called the body of Christ. We are the tangible presence of God in the here and now. So, friends, would you see the beauty of the gospel this morning? Would you allow the men and women around you to speak life into you and to pray for you? Would you experience this taste of heaven that comes from the gathered church? And would you know that Jesus is coming back to finish what started? Friends, Sunday, the Lord's Day, is a rhythm of grace. But it's not just something that we sprinkle in. It's not, just, it's not just extra. It's not just fluff. It is meant for our good. Would you turn to him this morning? Would you pray with me?